You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Holy Spirit, you are good. Today, would you shine bright your word? I'm, I'm broken, we're broken, <clears throat> but, but you are a God who heals. And today, would you just let us see who you are? Let us see what you invite us into um, as, as your family. And would you show us how you repurpose the affliction that we endure and how that leads to comfort. We thank you for your goodness, for your grace, and, and thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> when Gotham is in ashes, you will have my permission to die. That's what Bane says to, to Batman in The Dark Knight Rises. When Gotham is in ashes, you will have my permission to die. So, so Batman, uh, he doesn't quite have the toughness to defeat Gotham's enemy of the day, Bane. And Bane is just this kind of big, bad dude. And so he, uh, Batman is, is defeated. His back is literally broken by the knee of Bane. And he is uh, thrown in kind of like a, a desert well. Um, and and he, he suffers affliction in that well. And it, it comes from within. He's troubled. If you know anything about Batman, he's troubled all the time. And he's got like some, some, th- some, some things that he's working through all the time in his mind. But, so, so he's troubled inside and, he, and he's troubled outside because he's stuck in this, this prison that looks like, uh, I don't know, 20 feet wide, humongous hole that looks up to the sky and it's made of kind of cobblestone and so you can't really get any footholds. There are a few, but they don't really lead to, to being able to get out. And so, he's, so he's in prison, he's afflicted, he's, he's despairing, things are really bad. And, and when Bane puts him there, he says, uh, Batman, well at that point he's Bruce Wayne, so don't, don't envision a guy with a mask. Uh, he says, where am I? And Bane says, home, you're home, where I learn the truth about despair. And he says, as will you. He said, there's a reason why this place is considered the worst hell on earth, because you're here in prison with no hope for escape, but you can look up and you can see the sky, you know, open air. And so, like, it's, it's just right there. And he says, the, the theologian Bain, he says, there's no true despair without hope. And, and that's where he leaves him. Back broken, anguish inside, affliction outside. And so two things happen while he's in there. One, Bruce Wayne hears about uh, one prisoner who actually did escape, right? And that sets in him, that sets in him the hope, all right? And then as he's training and as he's trying to, to recover and as he's trying to get better, uh, there are people around him that are, that are for him. And, and at one point, they're actually chanting for him because they just want to see somebody get out of this thing. And he, and he ties a rope around himself, and he tries, and he makes this leap, and he falls, and he does that over and over again, and he trains, and he tries, and he falls, uh, and, until finally he, he loses the rope. And he says, it's, it's all or nothing. And he, and he gets out. 
And, you know, as, as the story goes, he gets free. He uses the strength that he had gained while suffering. Now, a little tougher mentally, a little tougher physically, and a little help from his friends. And he, uh, and he defeats Bane. Had he not suffered, he had no chance to defeat this guy. Um, but because of his suffering, he was able to alleviate the, sa- the suffering of others. All right? That's what we see as the story unfolds. And he's able to actually bring hope back to the city and the people of Gotham. Here's the deal. As far as I know, no one in this room is Batman. Okay? Um, but, but in the same way, God repurposes our affliction and, and he leads us to comfort. Suffering takes many forms. We've all suffered each in our own way and, and some mildly and, and others severely and some by our own doing and others completely outside of our hands. And this suffering that happens to us uh, is often referred to as affliction. Uh, it's something that comes upon us. And, and the author of this letter, Paul, he uses the term to reference both the external distress, the things of this world, the, the cares of this life, the stuff that happens when he gets imprisoned and, and all of these things and, and, and sickness and, and all of these things that happen outside of us, but also the internal turmoil that happens inside of us during these things. And so when we're in these situations where, where hope seems to be lost or, or the pain is so severe that we almost can't go on, the, the worst kind of affliction, we join the chorus of, of Job. And if you know anything about Job, it's, it's in the Old Testament, and we see this guy, and he suffers like, like no other. Like the top three sufferers in biblical history, um, th- this guy named Job. And, and this is what he says in, in Job chapter 3. He says, For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Right? And, and, and what he's saying is, gosh, like the hits just keep coming. And I, I know you've said that. And sometimes we say that like when we get a flat tire and, and when we have to fix things and, and that, that kind of d- takes us out of the modern comfort of, of this American life that we live in. But sometimes the pain is, is, is much deeper than that. And, and the same holds true. Some affliction is so disorienting that, that in the moment it seems that there's, there's no hope. And, and so you have the classic, uh, you know, why, why God, why? And you shake your fist. And, and we read about uh, the psalmist who just pours his heart out and, and just asks, why? God, wh- why? How long will you, will you tarry? How long will you wait to relieve me of my suffering? But for those who are in Christ, we get to view all things, suffering and affliction included, as just one piece of a, of a larger puzzle that is this life. Affliction is part of sin's fruit. So, so we hurt, and, and, and we do that because sin wrecks God's good creation. And, and as much as we might think that, like, oh, gosh, uh, you know, we, we believe the lie that, that if we're gods, then everything just happens, and we get to kind of float around and, until heaven comes, and then, you know, we say goodbye. To, but that, that's just not true. That, that is not true. God's people suffer. And so what that means is that in our suffering, we're in good company. 
And today we get to look at a passage of Scripture that serves to set up the intro of a letter that Paul's writing to a church that he loves, but it also brings us into Paul's suffering and it brings us into the suffering of the Corinthian people. Uh, and it also it shines some light on how God uses and redeems affliction in the lives of his own. God repurposes affliction to lead us to comfort. So, so as students of the Bible, when we open the Bible, especially when you, you jump into a new book of the Bible, what, what am I going to read today? And, and, and you turn into a book, uh, we have to ask some questions, right? We, we get to be good journalists, and, and this is a, a letter, uh, often called an epistle, that, that Paul the Apostle wrote to a local church that it might be read aloud to them. So we're asking the questions, who's it written by, uh, who is it written to, and, and what is it written for? And we're going to discover that over the next few months, but, but first let's just jump in and read the first two verses and it will give us some context. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is somewhat common. We, we kind of say uh, our name and job title at the end of letters, but they did this on the front end, and so that's somewhat common. Although he, he does take what would be like a hello, uh, right, uh, in the Greek, and, and he makes it more of a, like, uh, a spiritual component of like God's grace and peace be with you. But, but relatively, this is normal. And so around this time, it's, it's roughly 54, give or take a year, um, Paul's writing from a, a city called Ephesus in a place uh, in, in Asia. And in that time, uh, I discovered that the population consisted of, of roughly one-third uh, slaves in, in Corinth. So roughly one-third of all the population uh, in Corinth were, were slaves. Um, Corinth was a main kind of depot uh, for the slave trade in the Aegean area. It's a new-ish city that, that Caesar um, commissioned to be a city. And this second century writer, he, he sums up what he learned. He says, I learned in a short time the nauseating behavior of the rich and the misery of the poor. So, so in Corinth, there's an opportunity to be free, and that's, that's happening. Um, there's an opportunity to increase honor through kind of like the fluid leadership, so you could rise to honor, you could rise to power, because things were, were new and, and shaking. So there's a lot of vying for things, and certainly that crept into the church. And so you see this church vying for things and trying to, to take the world's power and apply it to God's kingdom and God's family. And so what we have here is we have, we have a, a rub between Paul and this church, and, and we'll unpack this again over months, but, but there's some tension there, all right? And so uh, the tension was, was both personal, there were some hurts on both ends, but it was also theological because Paul cared for these people a ton. He had helped establish this church, and then what we see is uh, the, the people at Corinth being drawn away by the, by the, the world around them to, to, to consider God's family like the government around them. And so it was, it was selfish gain was kind of the heartbeat. Um, it's a super personal letter that we're reading. And so, uh, as one says, it is, it's a personal letter written in the heat of a complicated relationship among people who love each other and yet 
who have been angry with one another. In that sense, the letter is a vibrant look at what it truly means for Christians to live life together. So that brings us to this letter and the setup. Uh, and, and we're looking at, at affliction and what God does to repurpose that affliction and to show us comfort. And the first thing that we'll see is, is through affliction, God is near. And so I want to read verse 3 and, and just the first part of verse 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Right? So, so he says, blessed be God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. Maybe you've heard uh, this quote from the, the theologian Mike Tyson. He says, uh, Everybody has a plan till they get punched in the face. Right? Everybody has a plan till they get punched in, in the mouth. Uh, anyone can believe anything until their belief is tested through fire. Paul knows this. So when, when our flesh is tested, we can, we can reach out to any lie. But, but the first lie that we're going la- to latch onto is, is to mistrust God. It's, it's the oldest lie in the history of God's relationship to, to humanity, that God is not to be trusted. So when things go bad for us, one of the places that we turn to is to mistrust him, to doubt him. So we say things like, God has, has abandoned me. Maybe God is sleeping. Maybe he's disinterested. Maybe he's just uncaring. Maybe I deserve this. Right? Maybe I've brought this upon myself, or maybe God is powerless to do anything. And so what we do is we diminish God's goodness or we diminish his ability to do anything about it. And, and to be clear, Paul, this guy who's writing, he's gone through it. And we will, like, we will look at a lot of the suffering that he's dealt with uh, over the next few months. But, but it's unclear exactly what he's referring to in this. But here are some possibilities. In the city that he's writing from, in Ephesus, in Acts 19, you can read about you can read about this, and there's this, uh, what's called the Demetrius Riots. And basically, Paul goes in, and he preaches the, the truth and the liberty of Jesus, and, and, and him as being the one true God. And so there are people who make idols for a living. So they make little, little uh, shrines and little figures that people might worship these things. They might set them on their mantle, and, and they might actually bow down to these things. And what, what Paul does by proclaiming this liberty that they have in Jesus to trust the one true God is he puts some of these idol makers out of business and it, and it disrupts the, the entire um, uh, uh, financial institute of, of the city in Ephesus. And people don't like that. All right? They don't like that at all because that's taking away their comfort. So, so we read about in Acts 19 this, this Ephesus riots where things are just going crazy. And Paul's kind of like sneaking out the back door a little bit. Right? And so there are people beaten and, and there's all kinds of stuff. We see beyond that, Paul says, it, it was like fighting wild beasts. And for us, we're like, okay, fighting wild beasts. But for them, that was something that they saw all the time. Right? This is like in, in Colosseum days where literally they would be brought in and they would be devoured by wild beasts. Now Paul, he was a Roman citizen as well as a Jew, so he would not be brought into that. And so we can assume that that's figurative, that he's not actually uh, fighting wild beasts, but that's what it felt like. Uh, he had to deal with trial in, in the uh, state court, which could lead to death. Uh, at the hand of the Romans, he had to deal with trial by the Jewish court, which led to flogging, where he got beat 
with 39 lashes, and we see that that happened many times. And so there's, there's lots of suffering, but, but along with all that, there's the internal turmoil within for him to love the church and for the church to forsake their one true God. And so he's, he's dealing with a lot. Yet the message that Paul begins with is one of comfort. Right? And, he, and he doesn't say that the comfort is coming in the form of relief, but, but in, in the form of truth. That Paul gives them the truth and he gives them pr- the promise of the presence of God. And this should not be overlooked. The promise isn't that, that the opposition will be removed, but it's that God is in the midst. God uh, can deliver us out of affliction. And he does that and he, he has done that for Paul. But he can also encourage us in our affliction. And already we see Paul being kind of like, uh, drawn by this pastoral heart to care for these people, a, sh- a shepherd heart that he has for them. He's setting the Corinthians' heart on, on the truth of God. But man, when things are tough, it's so easy to turn away. R.C. Sproul, he says, I don't always feel his presence. But God's promises do not depend upon my feelings. They depend on his integrity. So you're not always going to feel like things are like they are. But, but what we have is we have God and his word. And we have his character that, that comes alongside that. And we, we know that what he says is true. Um, one writer described Paul, uh, he, he described the situation like this. The comfort that Paul has in mind has nothing to do with a, with a tired, inactive feeling of contentment. It is not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pains, but it is a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart, in mind, and soul. Comfort relates to encouragement, to help, to exhortation. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. One of the most helpful things for me to consider, like when things are really good and when things are really bad, is is that, that God is never made aware of any news. God is never made aware of any news. He, he's not scrolling through his feed in the morning. He's not, he's not uh, flipping through the papers. He's not watching the news to get caught up. He's never, he's never made aware of any news. He never stumbles late onto the scene. He never abandons. He never forsakes. But for us, the battlefield for, for comfort is in our heart and in our mind. And the weapon that we use to gain ground in that battle, the weapon that we use to find comfort is truth. It's this truth that Paul is giving them in their affliction. That God is near. This you can be sure of. God is trustworthy in times of ease. And it's the same God in times that challenge us in the core of who we are and and of what we believe. God repurposes affliction to lead us to comfort. God is near. And the second thing that we see is, is through affliction, God equips comfort. Let's read on through verse 7. So verse 4 says, uh, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that 
we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Remember, this is Paul writing to a people both suffering. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So I talked to a friend this week, and we were talking about uh, affliction and, and times of life that, that have been really difficult. And, and he was saying that in his kind of internal anguish and in, in, in seasons of his life where he dealt with anxiety and doubt and all kinds of things, he said, I felt like if I shared it, I would be rejected. And if, and if I told my wife what I was feeling, that, that she, would, she would hate me for it, that she would condemn me for it. And so he said, but, but what's crazy is when I told her about my anxiety, when I told her about my doubt, when I told her what I was going through, you know what she said to me? He said, she looked at me and she said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've had to deal with that. And he said just like immediately, he was relieved and, and she followed up, I'm sorry that you had to deal with that by yourself and I love you. And he said, it, it made all of the difference. It was so comforting to receive her love in my despair. And, and he said, in light of that, and, and as we process that with others and, and work through that together, we've walked with so many others through similar difficulties. What that tells us is, is firsthand experience of the, the exact same thing that Paul's talking about. Affliction is a tutor that empowers us for comfort. And it doesn't feel that way, right? Um, Paul teaches that, that comforters are forged by receiving comfort of their own and passing it along to others. And so, so comfort is like the, the I'm rubber, you're glue, right? And so it's, it's, it's reflecting comfort. We get to receive it and we get to send it on. Um, that's not the same thing as making everything about you. All right, and so I, I want to be real clear because this is like a, a trap that we, that we fall into, that somebody talks about their day or their situation and you say, oh, I know, me too, gosh, right? It's like life's horrible. And, or, or they say, gosh, it's just so painful, suffering, loss, like having you, and you say, oh, oh, I know, like I've, I've suffered loss, believe me, I know, right? And, and you think that that's doing the same thing that Paul's saying, it's not. It's not doing the same thing. What it's doing is it's, it's, it's taking the suffering of others and then you, you taking it, all right, and making it about you. So what we get to do is we get to, we get to listen and we get to give a rip and we get to ask questions of them and, and we get to, to comfort them with words or with silence. And at some point, we get to relate with. But, but our first response should be, oh my gosh, I know, me too. Life really is horrible. So... So we get to be motivated by truth and by love. Here's the thing, God, uh, the, the way that Paul talks about this is, is he uses the words flow and overflow. 
So, so God comforts us so that we can then comfort others. That's, that's, what, that's what Paul says. But he uses the words flow and overflow. And, and maybe you've heard some analogy about like a, a coffee cup and a, and a saucer. But basically that's the imagery that, that God pours comfort into the, to the cup so that it spills up over into the saucer. And so that's, that's what he's saying. That, that, that comfort flows in and then it overflows to those around us. God comforts through real truth in your time of need. God comforts through his real presence in your affliction. God comforts through real people that he would have in your life. That's part of what it means for us to be a community. That we get to be comforted by truth. We get to be comforted by God. And we get to step in and we get to comfort others. And for those who who might have a perspective that says, gosh, you know, I, I love God, but, but uh, yeah, I don't do church or whatever. And, and we all know people like that. And maybe you are one. You can't possibly know God if you think that, that you love Him and it's okay for you to walk outside of His church. You, you, you can't do that. That would be like somebody uh, telling you uh, as a parent, as a mom or a dad, gosh, I just love you so much. Your kids, they're a disaster. I, I hate them. I will spend no time with it. Like, what are you going to do as a parent? You're probably not going to be like, it's cool. That's okay. I don't like them either. You're not going to do that. <laughs> but the analogy is, is even deeper because what we are is we're not just God's kids. We are his body, Right? Jesus being the head of the church and we being collectively his body. And so that's like saying, I love your face, but I cannot stomach the rest of you. That, that doesn't work. He, he doesn't work that way. He works to reclaim and redeem the church, and then he invites the, the reclaimed and redeemed church to live redeemed. The, the point of suffering, I, I don't want us to miss this, the point of suffering is not that we might comfort. It's not, well, well why do we suffer? Well, it's so that you can comfort others, because that's, that's cheap, and it, and it, and it minimizes a, a, a ton of stuff, right? The point of suffering is not that we might comfort, but, but one of the fruits of our suffering is that we can comfort. One said it this way, we can never suffer for the purpose of redemption. And what that means is, I could die for you 10,000 times and it's not going to take away your sin. I could comfort you all the day long and when I'm gone, that's gone. We can never suffer for the purpose of redemption for we cannot add to the atoning work of Christ. However, our afflictions can serve as windows to the reality and the benefits of our union with Christ. So we get to paint a picture of, of the true sufferer. We get to paint a picture of our life of the true comforter. So this means that if you have life within you in this room today, and I think, I think most of you do, if you have life and breath within you, God has brought you here. If you have life within you today, then your life to this point has prepared you to contribute to others. That's, that's good news. 
And, and we know uh, what Paul says to, to the church in Rome, in Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For God's kids, those that have trusted grace alone through faith alone and, and Christ alone, all things work towards your good. And that seems impossible and you would say, how can that be, knowing the life that I've lived? And, and I don't know, but what I do know is, is that God does exactly what we would do if we knew all that he knows. We just don't. So Paul says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort as much as we've suffered, we are comforted. So, so what he's saying is, look, we're in this together, right? Me, writing this letter, you, we are in this together. And, and as we are brought into Christ's sufferings by faith in his work on the cross, then we're brought into his comfort by our shared affliction. God repurposes affliction to lead us to comfort. God will not give you more than you can handle. You've probably heard that. Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you've said that. And, and that's, that is a great concept, except the Bible says that, that Paul was enduring more than he can handle. And, and I think the, the idea behind that is, is God won't give you more than you could handle. But you know what? Sometimes, sometimes we break. And sometimes we take on more than we can handle. And, and in that, we have to remember a couple things. God is near. God equips comfort. And the third thing is this. Through affliction, God resets our hope. So let's finish this out. Read verse 8 through 11. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Remember, that's in Ephesus. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So what he's saying is, it's over. We were in a position where, look, it was over. There was no getting out of this. We, we came to the end of ourselves. It was over. And, and not only that, I was okay with that. I, I, I wanted it to be over. It was so bad for us. It, it was over. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, which is the human condition. That we want to be able to rely on ourselves. That was never God's design for us. So he was brought low. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. John Bunyan says, in, in times of affliction, 
we commonly meet the sweetest experiences of the love of God. Being brought low has an incredible power of taking us to what matters most. When we are stripped of our status, when we are stripped of our health, when we are stripped of our comfort, of our freedom, of our security, and what we can, we can touch and taste and spend, we are forced to reset what we've been hoping in all along. And this is God's grace through affliction. The Son of God suffered unto the death, not that men might not suffer, but that their suffering might be like His, says C.S. Lewis. If we experience affliction as Christ did, then we can expect to be comforted as Christ was. Even if we experience, as Paul says, deadly peril, our hope has been set on a God who delivers us from death. He has delivered us in real life through His suffering. He will deliver us in real life as surely as He lives. What liberty there is to be brought to the end of ourselves. And look, I, I, I don't want any of this to come off as shallow, right? In, in, in your deepest despair, these aren't things that we, that we latch onto easily. But these things are, are true and they change suffering for us. They change affliction for us. What liberty to be brought to the end of ourselves, not to rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Jesus suffered and died, and yet Jesus lives. So the, the resurrection for all who are in Christ is our assurance that even if we experience deadly peril, our hope is set on God who overcomes and who delivers from death. This is crazy for all of the other world religions. This is, this is crazy that God would come, that he would put on broken flesh like us. And it is disgusting to them that their God would suffer and die. Or as Paul says, to those who are perishing, the message of the cross is foolishness. But to us, it is the power of God. That, that God would suffer. Affliction is the means to an end. Affliction is the means to an end, and in God's scope, before the earth began, our hope was Christ's affliction. Before the, the earth was fashioned, our hope was Christ's affliction. It was the fulfillment of the plan to reclaim the pain of suffering and to reset our hope on God. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Man, Bane, that villain that we talked about, he brought Batman low to the end to the point to where he, he wanted to die. He said, why didn't you just kill me. When Gotham is in ashes, you will have my permission to die. Because what, Batman, he never died. He, he didn't die. But our hope isn't that we will 
we will be established and that we will be strong and that we will rise from the ashes and that we'll climb out of our despair, our hope is that Jesus already did that. Jesus took Bane and and Batman one further and, and he heard Satan's taunt that said, I will break you and you will surely die. He was broken. He was chastised for our sin that was thrown upon him. And he did surely die. But the twist of hope was that he didn't stay dead. And so the the hope that we have is, is you will never suffer worse than Jesus did who suffered to the point of death. And because of that, we can take refuge as the psalmist says in Psalm 46 that, that God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear through, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Look, this is where Paul begins his letter. He brings us into the setting and the context, and clearly there's suffering all around, and and we see that that we are in for quite a a ride as we uh, discover what's going on between Paul and, and the church at Corinth, and we see why this series is called Suffering in Defense. And as we close out uh, this sermon, I, I want you to think about a few things. Maybe you have suffered affliction in the most despairing way that you can imagine. Maybe you are right now in the middle of just kind of torrential suffering and affliction, and maybe you will in the future. My encouragement to you when you endure affliction, when you endure suffering, is, is to remember what Paul tells us that's from God uh, to the church at Corinth for us today. We get to know that God is near. That changes everything. We get to let his truth and his presence meet us at our lowest. We get to know that he has equipped others and that he's equipping you to walk together through your lowest. And we get to know that, that God isn't a hope. God is our only hope. He suffered to bring you through suffering and to give you life. And that life that he offers is yours today to any who would humble themselves to turn from self, to turn from sin, and let him reset the agenda of your life to follow him. And here's the thing, you're in a room full of people who want to do that alongside you. We don't have this thing figured out. That's why we gather together so that we might be built up to live in light of these truths, that we might be able to apply these truths. So for those who are in Christ today, we get to remember and we get to declare God's suffering that gives us peace with God and eternal life. 
And we get to do that by taking communion. We get to take of the bread and of the cup, which reminds us of Jesus' broken body and poured out blood. If you're not in Christ, if you've never trusted him, this is not for you. But, but we are for you so much that just like Paul invites Corinth to pray for him, we would love to pray for you today, to bear your burdens, to talk through any of this stuff with you so that we might cast our cares together upon God who cares for you. So you can pray at the prayer bench over there. There will be a few over by that red tree. There will be a few over by this red tree in the back. We would love to bear with you uh, through prayer. God repurposes affliction to lead us to comfort. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for these truths that when things are really tough, you are near. That, that as we endure and as we get through suffering and affliction, you, you give us, uh, as you've comforted us, we get to comfort others. And God, today, would you let us, no matter where we're at, would you let us reset our hope to, to remember that what we get to do is live in light of what you've already done, that you suffered and you died, and yet you live and you ascended to rule and reign. And because of that, we get to enjoy you and delight in you. We get to walk with others who are suffering. And we get to reset the agenda of our lives to follow you. Would you let us do that today in Jesus' name? Thank you.